Welcome to Your Lifestyle is Your Medicine podcast with me, Ed Padgett. Today, I get to speak with Dr. Sally Bell. Dr. Sally Bell is a UK-trained GP, means she went to medical school in the UK, but she has a specialism in lifestyle medicine. She qualified back in 1999, but she traveled and worked in different countries before coming back to the UK and running a very busy inner-city practice. However, she had a personal health crisis, which forced her to look deeper at the root cause of illnesses and injuries. And from that, she developed a five-part process. She looks at nutrition, movement, sleep, rest, and connection. In this episode of Your Lifestyle is Medicine, we're going to explore her story and what she did to heal herself and what she does with her patients. We're going to look at how these principles of lifestyle medicine can be used by the general public to avoid many of the chronic diseases that now plague our society. You're going to like this one. So Dr. Sally Bell, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Ed. It's good to be with you in spirit. We are a long way away from each other, but sharing heat, I think, because it's well, uh, 38 degrees it. here in the UK. Yeah, and you're in my, you're in my, uh, like my spiritual home, UK. I'm actually going there in a, a couple of weeks. Um, but you're right, I'm in Nicaragua. So you guys are having a heat wave, is that right? Yes, we're having a mini heat wave, highest temperatures ever on record. We're kind of just hitting 40 degrees, which I think the highest we've ever recorded is 37. So it is feeling a little bit hot. Wow, that is hot. And the UK melts when it gets that hot. Okay. Yeah, we're, not, we're not we're not here to discuss the weather. Although two no. Brits talking, we could talk about the weather. Oh, for always talk about the weather first and be polite before we take the deep dive. That's right. <laughs> that, that's very very British. Okay, what I want to talk to you about is your uh, your journey. Really, you're a um, a GP trained in the UK, and you were working within the National Health Service there. But more recently, you've transitioned out of that into private medicine and lifestyle medicine. So maybe you can take us back to the beginning of your your experience within the uh, the NHS and 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 what happened and what you learned. Yeah, I think my story probably starts all the way back in medical school. Really, like right. um, I remember being a medic in my first and second year, and you learn all about how totally brilliant the body is. Like we are genetically wired to heal. We have all these amazing, complex, innate systems that keep us happy and keep our weight stable and moderate our sugars. And you know, we really are wired for longevity and healing and and for feeling good. Uh, and I remember, so you, then you get to the, the third year and it's like you, they chuck you out of the wards and it's almost like just forget all that. Now put people into a disease categorization and follow these guidelines, which are often very pharmaceutically driven. And it felt so unintuitive. It, it just felt illogical and that we would be treating diseases, not people. Um, and, and just not looking at the whole of um, who people were, we were just treating a part and and so, but you know, I was in my early twenties and what did I know? And wasn't particularly confident in my voice back then. And uh, so went with it, did the training. Um, I trained as a general practitioner for those outside the UK. That's kind of our community family doctor. Um, and I loved it. Like I loved being part of community. It's always been very much at the heart of who I am. Like um, that sense of being part of a community. Um, I went away to Africa for quite a few years doing aid work and came back in 2008 and worked in an inner city 
general practice. Um, it had some of the highest rates of, of poverty and, and totally, totally fell in love. Like so many assignments, they could so many different languages. It was just a total labor of love. I loved it. But uh, in my time of being away, a whole host of things had happened to our system. Um, where we had really lost continuity of care with this big pressure to see patients same day. Um, and whereas like, you know, when I first started training, I would have known grandma and I would have known, you know, your auntie and I probably know when you were born. And, and um, we, we just lost all of that. And it was, you know, by the time I left general practice in 2016, it was 10 minutes, you know, a patient, 40 patients a day. I wouldn't know them. They wouldn't know me. And when you sort of start to consider that actually after cancer and cardiometabolic diseases, our safe prescribing is the third cause of death in this country. It really does beg the question, like, you know, am I uh, honoring that Hippocratic oath of doing no harm when there's so much pressure to prescribe? Um, and so I was deeply frustrated with the system, didn't feel I was helping people. And I say to people, I felt like a pharmaceutical vending machine. You know, people come in, it's like ding, ding, ding. Here's your blood pressure drugs. You know, here's your, you know, uh, you know diabetes drugs. And, and if you don't have a diagnosis, let's wait long enough for you to be sick enough. And then you'll fit into a diagnosis and we can medicate you. And, and so it just felt so unsatisfied and unsafe. And, um, and then like so many of us, you do have to interrupt me because I've gone for ages. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, I just want to interrupt, uh, interrupt you there if possible. So just like what, what I'm picking up from that is, to, you know, you had this, this experience in medical school, which told you how amazing the body was, but then yeah. told you the only way to treat it was with drugs. Yeah. You're, you're, something happened when you were in, in uh, general practice where you, the connection with the individual um, changed. Was that a policy change or, that, that, or what happened with the timings or something like that? Because you said it was good and then, and then it changed to 10 minutes per... So if we go back to the 90s, like there was definitely a sense of community and, right. you know, awkward question that you asked just as you're leaving my consultation, I could say, look, just book in in two weeks, we'll, we'll pick up on it. And there'll be a sense of trust and a sense of building relationship. And yeah. then when I was away in those early noughties, there was such a pressure and, and a demand on general practitioners that um, people were waiting weeks and weeks to be seen for urgent uh, problems. And so their solution was that we changed the structure and we had to leave so many appointments for same day appointments. But in doing that, we lost all those continuous appointments where we could follow up. So yeah. the whole thing was rejigged from above. And, and it just left us, yeah, just, just seeing, you know, our patients went from being our community to strangers and, um, and we yeah. lost that community okay. of care. And so then the um, third leading cause of death is this iatrogenic medicine, which is basically it's, it's brought about by, by the act of seeing a doctor, the interaction of a doctor, whether it's pharmaceutical or surgical or whatever, can cause a, yeah. an, act, an outcome that we don't want, which is, <laughs> which is death. So there, yeah. so there you are. As a, G, as a general practitioner, prescribing pharmaceuticals, noticing this pattern. And, and so that's kind of what I was picking up on. You must have felt this tension between these pills and potions and what, you know, the pharma, pharmacological way of treating and these amazing yeah. results you're getting, but also on the flip side, the not so amazing results. Is that right? 
Yeah, totally. And like, I am not anti-modern medicine. It totally has a place. Like I've worked for years in Africa where, you know, children have died in my arms from treatable conditions. Like I am not anti-pharma, like it has a place. Like modern medicine is a wonderful thing. But really, if you look over the last 20 years, you know, that, that plateau into that sort of curve of how it's improved life has really plateaued. And you have right. to ask the question, what has it contributed over the last 20 years, really? And that comes to kind of, you know, my next kind of Damascus Road experience, really, in that I, I lost my own health, um, had weird and wonderful symptoms, um, kept going to my GP and being told that all my bloods were normal. I mean, on reflection now, I know what I know they weren't. Um, and just get, you know, just a pat on the back and manage your stress. And, um, and then I had a moment where I was on the treadmill in the gym and I couldn't coordinate my legs anymore on, on the treadmill. And I went back to my doctor. I said, look, this isn't normal. And, you know, thank God for the NHS. I went through the system. I had my scans. I, you know, I saw a neurologist and got given a long term diagnosis and drugs. And, and, uh, and I had this moment with my neurologist where I was like, I don't feel like you're telling me what's wrong with me. Like, you know, what's going on in my body? Like, what can I do to help myself get better? And he didn't even look up. He put a pushed a prescription across the desk and he said, look, here, Sally, take this. I'll see you in three months. And it was the tipping point for me, you know, as well as all that frustration. And I went, right, I'm going back to the books. I know my body is wired right. to heal. Like, what do I need to do? And, and as I did that, I had to go to America because at that point there was no lifestyle medicine stuff going on over here. And really the closest thing that helped me unravel my teaching and, and look at the problem differently was functional medicine. Um, and so did some training with them um, and, you know, and then started to realize that, you know, this burden of chronic disease that we're faced as Western nations, you know, anything from your autism to your Alzheimer's, your cardiometabolic diseases and heart disease and diabetes and obesity or autoimmune diseases all of these things when you look under the hood what you realize depending on disease you know causation is 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 you know anything sort of 60 to 90 percent say is lifestyle it's not genetic yeah. and and it's and it's totally you don't need a medical degree lifestyle problems require lifestyle solutions and to keep medicating it is total lunacy and and so and that's how you know I you know I recovered my own health very quickly and I started practicing on anybody that let me have a go like at the end of surgery I was like do you want to stay a little bit longer and we can look at these a different way and 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 then people started getting better and I was really surprised things that actually I'm told shouldn't get better started getting better um and I was totally hooked I fell back in love with medicine you know this is what I went came in to do was to heal um and it started the journey for me around developing my um my experience in lifestyle medicine which has changed hugely compared to the eight to ten years ago that I started um and and has and has, has transformed my own life and the life of many patients so totally in love with it can we go back a little bit is it helpful yes. to share with people what your diagnosis was when your legs weren't working on the treadmill what did yeah, what did they what did they say it was it's interesting there was a big question about ms yeah. um but i enough plaques and they, I didn't quite fit the diagnoses and so they decided to give me a diagnosis of chronic migraine without headaches which was a total new thing to me but I was suffering 15 to 17 days a month where I couldn't function 
And so it was having a massive impact. It's all a lot of weird neurological symptoms. Yeah. I wouldn't be the word find. I had terrible brain fog. I would feel like things were crawling on my skin. Um, I, yes, would struggle to coordinate my legs when I was really tired. Um, so it, it wasn't really classic. And then I got given the usual drugs and ended up on anti-epileptics and then just felt spaced out the whole time. And um, so that, that was where I was at with that, um, yeah. Okay, so you had these sort of sort of un uh, yeah these neurological symptoms of no known cause. You were taking yeah. a, a series of, of pharmaceutical drugs to help with them, but that wasn't doing yeah. it for you. So you went to the U.S. and researched this functional medicine approach. Yeah, and yeah, and that helped give me a framework. Framework to work. And so, what was it that you did with your lifestyle that helped you recover? Yeah, I mean, up until that, I had lost my baby weight, and I was very active at the gym. Um, and so I'd done everything I thought was healthy. Interestingly, I was following what I would have considered a healthy diet, low fat, low calorie, um, you know, and so I think the biggest thing that changed for me initially um, was understanding how ultra processed our food was. And really switching to what we now know back then you know even 10 years ago we didn't really have an understanding of the gut microbiome and how to eat for a happy gut but now we do and it was about you know I went on a big plant slant I still kept meat and um and actually when I could tolerate it things like liver these very nutrient dense foods um, a very diverse diet um, I'd started to time restrict my eating and that had a massive impact on the neurological symptoms and energy. Um, and then I think, you know, added to that, I realized that I had bought into this concept that body mind was different. And when I started to engage that, you know, that the body and mind are one, and that actually some of the things that I felt in my physical body could be rooted in emotional trauma, and um, my unresolved emotions and I'm a feeler so I'd feel a lot of my patient's pain and I would carry it and process it but when I started to realize that some of my physical feelings were rooted in that and started to develop practices that helped me deal regularly with what I was seeing emotionally and some of my own trauma in the past and and I married up that story, you know, that was you know, a real game changer in terms of my maturity and getting better and, and growing as kind of a human being, I think. But yes. Okay. So, wow. so those symptoms you were having, which sound like quite severe, if someone came to you as a, as a, as a doctor and said, I've got these symptoms, you know, you would, I'm guessing you would be like, okay, we need to run some tests here to look for these, like you said, like MS and, and a few other neurological conditions and then when you reflected on it you had things to do with your diet and you know what and your and that's this emotional state the mental emotional state yeah. that I mean it sounds like those things were the were the root cause would you agree yeah you know I talk about five foundations I think there's probably okay. more but it just helps me create a framework in my head when I'm thinking about my own life and my patients and I talk about sleep, um, movement, rest, which is about managing our stress, 
um, connection to self, others and purpose and nutrition. And, you know, I think these are the foundations that underpin our well-being. And actually, they're, they're about living by design. It's how we're designed to live. And that's how we can tap into that innate ability to heal. And, you know, and so for me, I'd already done a lot of work on sleep and stress. And, um, you, you know, it's part of that healing. And I think the sort of nutrition and that connection piece was the next thing that just pushed me back you know into that healing process and you know and, and so my body could do what it's brilliant at which is heal and bring balance and and so for me I, I hate protocols and I hate like you know five five ways to do this like it's all about personalized care it's really listening to people's story and 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 using maybe that framework to help you know, you know, where to, you know, to start with. So some people, they come with obesity and actually I've spent ages getting them to sleep because I know until they are sleeping, they will never be able to make good decisions around nutrition and their appetite hormones will be all over the place. So, so you know, but for other people, that's fine. And actually we need to hone in on, you know, stress is the big thing and disconnection from the land, I think of a real primary drivers in disease. So I do think, it, sometimes people listen and think all oh, right I'm going to go and eat like she did and it's like no 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 it's not about me it's about you and it's about using these foundations you know where are you at and what can you do to cut sort of move yourself towards health and healing yeah it's, it's so interesting isn't it that you know we as you've come a, a long way in your journey and looking at those five things but the average uh, client or patient they want one thing you know, they want to be told just just do this one thing. But I want to take it back slightly. You you mentioned about nu- nutrition, and prior to that, you had just sleep and, and rest quite well dialed in. Why do you feel like nutrition came to you a bit later? Is that to do with um, your training as a doctor that nutrition isn't really taught, or was it what what was it yeah. about that came later? No nutritional training. I mean, most of my colleagues think foods have got nothing to do with it, like to do with uh, health. I mean, it's totally bonkers. And, you know, and I, you know, and we have been indoctrinated you know, with horrible public health messages that have diminished food down to calories and fat. And we have lost the understanding around nutrient density about eating for a healthy gut microbiome, how, you know, food influences our genetics and, and how it's information to our bodies. And we have really, you know, diminished the role of food. And, um, and so I think I grew up in that. I grew up, you know, thinking that if I was thin, everything was fine. And the route to that was low fat, low calorie. And, and really, I think, you know, we, we, we starve ourselves, not with calories, but all of those wonderful macro and micronutrients and, you know, all those phytonutrients. And so it's, it's complete ignorance. And, and up until, you know, three or four, well, maybe four or five years ago, I was completely ignorant of how we grew food and the impact, you know, glyphosates have and, you know, where our food's coming from and the intensive farming of of you know factory grown animals and I had you know see it's been this massive journey for me one of understanding the beauty of food you know then about how it's grown but then more it's about culture it's about gathering us it brings us around the table we celebrate our history like it is the pause and and the unifying thing and and so food to me is such a solution to so many of our problems um so yes it's been a long journey but ignorance and no training or, or understanding from a medical point of view 
It's so interesting that you mentioned that it's about the community and someone um, uh, was telling me the other day that the root word of companion is con with and pan being bread. So breaking right. bread with someone. And yeah. it's like, oh yeah, companions and, and community. And so yeah. your, your uh, interest in food and soil has led you to meeting some, some people, some interesting people, right? And some yeah. interesting uh, movements in the UK. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so as I said, like I was merrily got my five foundations and by this time I'd got a bit of a private clinic going and, you know, we're seeing some remarkable, you know, uh, results with my patients. And, and then what it was is um, we come from a foodie family. My, my family have got a mission style restaurant and a state and, and, um, and it was my brother you know, a few years ago, it was going on and on about soil and how it impacts wine and biodynamic wine. And I was like, what on earth is he going on about? Like, what does it matter? Like, as long as you're eating real food, it really doesn't matter. And, um, but he provoked uh, my interest and somebody put a book in my hands. I think it was in Charles Massey's The Call of the Reed Warbler. And I had no idea at that point, again, totally ignorant of um, intensive farming and our intensive right. farming systems and what, how we have farmed over the last, you know, 70 years in order to feed us what was a starving nation. And then, you know, this massive focus on yields um, as a marker of success. Like, uh, and so I had no idea of how we were farming. And, and then to me, when I started to look at the soil microbiome, you know, you, you will understand this, like our understanding of the gut microbiome has just been exponential and the impact on health and total fascinating area of research and the future you know, for health. And, and when you start looking at the soil, you see the same story. Like it's the story of the farmer and the story of the doctor, are the same story. We have a chemical way of doing health and we have developed a chemical way of doing farming. And what we need to understand that just as our body is wired to heal and we need to live by design and work with it, you know, the earth is, is wired for abundance to feed with us. You know, it can heal, um, but we have, uh, uh, you know, we have exploited it. Um, and um, we have damaged it, but if we will work with it, it will heal, you know, itself, it will heal us. Um, and when you really look after the soil microbiome, it all starts with the soil, you get beautiful nutrient dense food, which then feeds these animals, which are beautiful, you know, nutrient dense, and regardless of whether you want to just eat plants or meat or whatever, it doesn't really matter to me, you know, you, you're then feeding your body. And we have this massive connection with landscape and the soil microbiome. And I think research will show actually, eventually, that it is the soil that, you know, is influencing our own microbiomes, both on skin and eyes and gut, that is then, you know, training our immunity and keeping us disease free. But when we damage the soil, we are damaging our, our own connection and our own ability for our immune system to stay disease free. And, um, and so, yes, and so went on this massive journey in the UK, I, everything I was reading, it was Alan Sabre's stuff in Zimbabwe, where I'd worked, um, it was Australia, it was America, um, and I was like, well, what on earth is going on in our country? And I literally Google searched farmers and anybody that had the word regenerative, I didn't even know what it meant back then, um, or organic or biodynamic. I just phoned up and I said, look, I'm a doctor and I think this really matters how you're growing, but I don't really understand what's going on. And they were just like, come. 
you know, come and see us. And I have spent the last four or five years, like, uh, going around and seeing the healing of the land and seeing these farmers transition or continue in these more traditional ways of farming and seeing the impact on food quality, taste, biodiversity, the water in the soil, you know, it, it is it is totally beautiful. And actually it's been what was unexpected for me was it was a massive spiritual journey um, because uh, it awakened in me our connection to our landscape and it almost felt like coming home. And food to me, it, it, it takes on, it's a, I have a completely different relationship with it. It's not about commodity. It's, you know, the gift of the earth and, uh, and the work of, you know, men and women who grow that and, and it connects me back to feeling more and more whole. Um, so it's been a wonderful journey. And in the UK, we are very lucky to have incredible, you know, family farmers across the nation who are farming like this. Yeah, you are. And the UK is fascinating in that regard because you come to North America, I was 15 years in Canada. You have these huge um, farms, these acreages, they call them, and they don't farm them like we can in the UK. That's um, that regenerative way. It almost they yeah. almost like they have to be smaller, and they have to have the right amount of sort of soil. And I know we've got Joe Salatin and people like that who are putting more topsoil on their land, but it's it's hard work, and yeah, yeah. a lot of farmers don't want to do it. But it, but interestingly, yeah. I, I just interviewed someone. It's on a podcast uh, before this called Mike Dorian, who his tagline is "It all starts in the soil," and he oh. is a, a soil expert. And he was yeah. telling me that there's this group out of the, of the U.S. who are developing uh, a little probe that you can put in your vegetables and they will tell you the nutritional profile of the vegetable in real time. And yes. with the carrots that they've been testing on, there's a 200 percent difference between the a commercially raised carrot with just the, sort of the um, fertilizers and then these organically raised carrots. And. The technology is going to develop so that you'll be able to put, this is what they're hoping to do, something on your phone that you could actually just attach the, the gizmo to your phone. You can go to the farmer's market. You can listen to the yeah. farmer talk about their techniques and you go, okay, I'm just going to test test your produce yeah. to see. And if that thing comes to the market, all farmers yeah. are going to have to up their game. No, totally. That's Dan Ketridge's work with the biometric. Oh, okay, I, I, I didn't know who it was. Have just created their prototype with yes. the density um, little scanner thing, hand scanner. So, yeah, I, I mean, yes, it, it really isn't. You know, it's going to change our power as consumers, which is what is needed to support you know these smaller farmers. But sadly, like in the UK, things have got very big and very commercial, and we currently politically are about to lose a lot of our small family farms because we're losing our farming subsidies unless we as consumers start switching up how we're buying. Um, so, so it isn't that different from you yeah. know, the way America with these monoculture and massive fields and massive machines and um, yes. Well, they do say that the US uh, leads in a lot of things. It's like 10 years or 15 years ahead. Uh, and I don't know whether the word, the word ahead is appropriate, but I can see what you're saying there. It's like, okay, if that's coming to the UK, it's probably 10 years, 15 years behind what's already happened in, in the US. Yeah, interesting. So yeah. thank you for sharing that about your journey with food, but also you have another journey that, that I've been following with breath work. Can you tell us, tell us, tell us about that? Yes. Oh, gosh. So, um, 
I I read Patrick McGowan's book, so Oxygen Advantage. So, and I'm also very aware of, um, you know, oh gosh, what's the guy you follow has gone out my head? Wim Hof. Or... Wim Hof. Wim Hof. Wim Hof. Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, work and um, and say uh, again, just totally ignorant. We just don't learn about these things. So when you start looking at the science of again, like keeping our body in this lovely rest and repair state, predominantly. Um, you know, I, from that perspective, it was like, oh my goodness, breathwork is just going to make a massive difference. And and so again, like you read it, it's so intuitive, it makes sense. Um, but I started practicing with it in my clinic, and and I was, I, I have been bowled away. Like I, you know, I have a, I had a lady recently came to me with irretractable gut issues, and um, now that I and she'd had so many tests and so many drugs, and nobody could help her. I was her last port of call, and. And um, I remember looking at her because you start to look differently at people to how they breathe now. And you could just see she was locked down and a diaphragm was locked down. And no wonder she's got acid going up her flipping, um, you know, esophagus, given how tight she was. And um, and so, uh, you know, I was like, right, I think the first we need to do is open up your chest and we need to start working on breath. And she was decided to go with it. because She was so desperate. And I'm not joking, within six weeks, she was symptom free. And, right. and all, you know, and, and just so it totally hooked me in. And then I see this with hormonal issues. I see this with a lot of gut issues and anxiety issues. And where practically I'm seeing something that you can do at your desk. It doesn't have to be weird. You know, um, it is completely symptom free. You feel better almost immediately. But seeing this profound effect of when you get your body into that rest and repair zone, all of these things start to find their balance. And, mm. and so I'm complete, I have a sick foundation now and it is breath work. <laughs> so, right. uh, I'm so convinced, like I have a breath work coach in clinic um, and who is totally brilliant, uh, but so convinced I'm now training in breath work. Um, because it just it it's it's a game changer for so many of my patients. Um, so yes, very converted to using that as a, a very accessible tool to try and break into often you know these difficult cycles that people are in with their lifestyle choices, and it's a nice thing to break into to break the cycle of stress and sleep issues and and rebalance the body. I love it. Interesting. Um, but you're really into it, aren't you? And and yes. uh, probably yeah. know far more than me. And uh, well, yeah. uh, maybe not the, the the science behind it as much. But uh, Wim Hof for sure. I do Wim Hof breath work and the cold immersion. But um, yeah, just like treating uh, clients. Like I had a, a patient a while back who had reflux, same as yours, yeah. but she'd also lost her menstrual cycle as well. She was twenty in her mid twenties. And um, so I, you know, I lie people on the table because I'm an osteopath and we treat people sort of lying down some of the time. And I said, take a deep breath in. And she was like, all up here and her belly did not move. And I was like, okay, just do that again. And I'm like, okay, now try and breathe in your belly. And she just couldn't do it. And so I gave her this exercise for belly breathing. And then it, same sort of thing within like two or three sessions, her reflux had gone and she had been taking medication for that, which she stopped. And then her menstrual cycle came back. And yeah. it's like, okay, let's get you out of that, um, that fight and flight, yeah. put in the rest yeah. and repair and things, things sort of take care of themselves. Yeah, yeah. So, um, no, totally beautiful. And then I think for me also breathwork offers that past, pathway to our unconscious and, 
you know, being more mindful and, and that kind of spiritual element of who we are, which we're just desperate to connect with. And a lot of us in, West, in the Western world don't know how to, like, um, they don't know how to find stillness. We don't know accuse anybody. We don't know how to find that stillness. We don't know how to find that peace inwardly. We don't know how to hear our inner voice. And, and so I think I've also found it from that aspect because I think what I'm really convinced of the more that I go into this Ed is that we know what we need actually if we can really listen we know what we need to eat we know we need to rest we we know but we we can't connect to that and 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 then there's the courage of actually living from that place of our inner sort of authentic voice and breath work is just another beautiful gift at yes it helps us get out of that stress zone yes it has these physical manifestations but I think it's helping my patients draw inward on that inward journey to that place where they can have the confidence they can hear what they need so I I think it goes there's a whole other level and layer in terms of a tool that's not weird that we can all do you know that really helps connect the whole of us so that we can live wholehearted Mm. and live as the powerful kind of beings that we are so yeah. yeah, I think it's brilliant. I just love yeah, it. There's, there's actually another British guy who I think he lives in the US called Henry Schuchman. He's a meditation coach. And, okay. and he said something very profound is that the, the mind can time travel. So you're always in the future or you're always in the past. But the body can't. And when you think of breathing, it's in the present. And so when you concentrate on your breath, it it brings your mind back into the present. And it's like, oh, there it is. That's that, the key. To me, that was one of the keys for meditation right there. And it's that thing, like, we can only experience joy in the present and happiness here. And, and, and that's what we all want. We all want a bit more joy and a bit more kindness and a, and a bit more sense of happiness. But we don't know how to get in the present. Yes. And, and so it is just, you know, these wonderful tools. There's, I mean, there's just so much great. And then there's also wonderful you know, neuroplasticity going on when we meditate and all the wonderful neurochemistry, chemical changes. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, game changer. It is. So, um, okay, I want to, so people listen to this, they, they've, they've heard your story, they understand you're, you're a, a, a general practitioner or was a general, were a general practitioner, and now you're using lifestyle medicine. So can you give anyone, uh, any of our listeners, like, some tips to say okay well this is one thing that you've noticed is is a really really has really good effect like you mentioned the breathing like what would you say that like the top two or three things that you can advise people gosh I think um I think the overarching message is you can trust your body and it's for you people have lost confidence so they need people need to start drawing inwards and listening to 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 what's going on and and learn to listen to themselves like your body's totally for you that's the big thing that we need to grapple with like foundationally and i think my observation from people and clients over the last 23 years is the quick wins are probably around breath and sleep, I think, yeah. um, that uh, aggressively pursue, you know, seven and a half to nine hours asleep, not in bed, do it consistently for week on week on week. And within three or four weeks, they will notice a radical shift in how they're feeling, 
and that ability to make decisions in other areas. I think in order to get to that place of being able to sleep well, the, the, the biggest opposition to that besides sort of blue light and caffeine is that we're so stressed and that's where breath comes into it. So I would say, you know, learn about sleep hygiene, do it ruthlessly, make it the thing that you try to do, create a routine, get caffeine out of your diet, you know, get the blue light um, out of, you know, in those late, in late in the evening and then start doing breath work peppered through the day because that's going to help bring your cortisol, your stress hormone down, which is the thing that's often keeping us awake. So I think that's where you start. Trust yourself, you know, tell yourself when you get out in the morning, my body is for me, I'm here, I'm not going to abandon you, what do you need? You know, and then prioritise your sleep from the moment you get up <laughs> Uh, and uh, and then pepper your day with some simple breath work and just do that you know four to six weeks probably less a couple of weeks to start to feel better if I'm really honest and probably do it with somebody um, you know that sort of accountability and go on that journey of healing right. with somebody so you feel supported you know keep it really simple you don't need thousands of supplements you don't need to pay a lot of money like just start there um, you know it would be my advice Brilliant. They say you, what, you can't sleep yourself. No, you can't eat yourself out of a bad sleep. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I think like there's a hierarchy, isn't there? And if, if you're not sleeping, you can eat yeah. everything that's correct and you can exercise everything correct, but you're, you're still going to get sick. And sometimes we're using lifestyle to punish ourselves. Like, you know, we really need a, a kindness and a curiosity towards ourselves. Um, and you know, there's a time to run, there's a time not to run. You know, there's a time right. to go and eat a bowl of ice cream and sit in front of a movie and sob your heart out, and there's a time not to do that. And I think it really is this kind of we need we just need some kindness in life um, towards ourselves and, and, and towards others. So, yeah, kindness and sleep. There you go. That's there nice. Go. That's what the doctor's prescribing. Exactly. The doctor's <laughs> prescribing kindness and sleep. Well, I tell you what, if more doctors prescribe that, I think we'd be in a better place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sally, where can people find you and find more information about you? Yeah, so um, I'm on most sort of social media platforms. My favorite's Instagram. So, and my handle's Dr. Sally Bell on all of them. And my website's drsallybell.com. Um, so I have a small clinic. And I'm not quite sure what I'm doing with the next chapter of life. I'm really, if I'm really honest, I'm kind of reevaluating, taking a big pause at the moment. But that's right. where you can find me. Um, yeah. And do you, do you help people online as well from different countries? Yeah, or? I do virtual appointments. Um, there's certain limitations with uh, people if it's from overseas, but we can talk about that. So I have to act as a lifestyle medicine practitioner, not a doctor in those contexts but that's just all for legality but uh, i yeah. do see virtually and in person yeah wow well thank you very much for sharing your journey and and sharing the advice with us i think people are going to yeah. find some some real value in this in this recording in this podcast so thank you very much sally no it's a pleasure thanks ed it's been fab i hope you like listening to dr sally bell as much as i did if you did, show me some appreciation and wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's on YouTube, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, please like and then subscribe. The more subscribers I get, the more of these podcasts I can make. I'll see you or you can listen to me in the next one.